Good to have them back home. Amen. I would, um, I would remind my children every once in a while when we would talk on the phone or whether we would be, if we would be group texting or individual texting, I would remind them that the Lord did not call them to Stockton, California. I mean, he sent them there for college, but, uh, and I wasn't just being dad trying to hold on. I was reminding them, you know, it's important. The Lord will take us places sometimes, but that doesn't mean he called us there. He'll take us places, but that doesn't always mean he called us there. We have to recognize when he's taking us somewhere for a season, realize that doesn't mean he called us to stay there. The Holy Ghost took the Lord Jesus Christ into the wilderness. He called them there, but he didn't plan for him to live there. It was a season to accomplish some things and uh, would do us well to remember that. But it's good to have our college students home. I look forward to the other one returning this week. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Aren't you thankful for the working of the Spirit of God? I I don't know that we can fully comprehend the working of His Spirit. We get glimpses and He opens our eyes and our understanding at times. But oftentimes in this journey, we look back and we realize, man, the Lord was working in ways I didn't even realize. Anybody ever had that happen, been around long enough to realize that? He was working where I didn't even realize. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm so thankful. Praise God. Would you grab your Bible this morning? I feel like the Lord wants to remind us of some things today. Um, you know, sometimes the um, there can be things spoken by the word of the Lord, and it can almost seem like just a passing thought, but you recognize, no, the Lord was speaking there. And then the Lord can bring that back somewhere along the way. Well, I was I was reminded of a season of ministry some, wow, I don't know, maybe 11, 10, 11 years ago. And the, the ministry was all about the peace of God. But there was a statement made in there that came back to me yesterday. And I haven't been able to get away from it. And... Uh, so let's go into the word of the Lord today. We'll look at some f- scripture that will be familiar to some. But I think the Lord would like to remind us and reveal to us today. Amen. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Here we find that. Abraham is about to, not is about to, he is in the middle of obeying the instruction of the Lord. And the Lord has instructed him to take his son, his only son, Isaac, to the place that the Lord will show him and to there offer him as a sacrifice unto the Lord. And so Abraham is obedient to the Lord. And he now has his son Isaac, and he and Isaac have been shown this place called Mount Moriah by the Lord, and they are headed up the mountain, Abraham, his teenage son Isaac. They're carrying a little bit of wood because they're going to have a sacrifice, and they're carrying some fire. I don't know what that looked like. I guess probably a stick on fire. I never thought about that, but. And they're heading up the mountain for Abraham to obey the Lord and offer his son upon an altar. And Isaac, who has watched his dad make sacrifice to the Lord before, 
recognizes something's missing. Here's a side note, mom and dad. If you and I will live an example sacrifice to the Lord before our children, when something's missing, they'll always be able to identify it. Let's teach them the right way to sacrifice unto the Lord. Amen. And so they're heading up and Abraham is walking. And Isaac says to him, you know, dad, uh, we've got fire and we've got wood, but we're missing a sacrifice. There's, there's nothing to put on the altar. He understands that for sacrifice, something's got to go on the altar. And I, I would expect as a dad, I would expect that Abraham was probably hoping that he wouldn't have to answer this question any sooner than he had to. And as a dad, I would imagine he probably thought of many ways that he would respond when the question came. I, I, I just, I just got to, you know, we could really put him over here like he's someone that's not human. But he was as human as you and I. And if you were having to have this conversation with your son, what would it sound like? So I would imagine he tried to walk through this, walk through this maybe. I don't know what all he thought. But when the question finally came, he had a prophetic response. He said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. The scripture never ceases to amaze me. Notice he didn't say God will provide for himself. He said God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. What's beautiful to me about this scripture is that seems to be the end of the discussion. He shared that with Isaac and they went on. The scripture says they went on. Like that's some small thing. How much confidence did Isaac have in his father's relationship with God? Praise God. You can be seated this morning. God will provide himself a lamb. This is the first mention we find of this in Scripture. What's really powerful to me, if you study this chapter of Exodus 22, this is the first time that we find worship mentioned in Scripture. If you look a couple of verses before or after that, we also find love of God mentioned in the Scripture. And so we find for the first time the love of God and the worship of God mentioned in the Word of God, and they're together. And it involves sacrifice. And so we know none of the Word of God is coincidental so consider that the love of God and the worship of God goes together with sacrifice. And look at Exodus chapter 12. We're just going to go through quite a bit of scripture here at first. It'll be a Bible study this morning. Exodus 12 and verse number 5. Here we find the children of Israel in bondage. They're in bondage to Egypt. They had started on good terms because the Lord had brought them there by way of Joseph because of a famine in the land of Canaan. But the Lord did not intend for them to stay there. Like we said earlier, some places the Lord takes you, he doesn't intend for you to stay. The Lord did not intend for them to stay there, but because they became comfortable there, they became in bondage to Egypt but they realize this bondage is not a good thing. We've got to find a way out. And the only thing they knew to do is the right thing to do. They cried out to the Lord. And the Lord made a way for them out of Egypt. Exodus 12, verse number 5, we find him speaking to the children of Israel on what to do when he's getting ready to deliver them from bondage. Verse 5, he says, Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. 
or six, and you shall keep it till the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. They're killing the lamb, verse number seven. Watch, and they shall take of the blood, the blood of the lamb, and strike it on the two side posts and the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And then skip down to verse number 12. It says this, the Lord is speaking. He says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. You hear that? Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Those are pretty strong words. Oh, he wasn't just delivering them. Yes, he was going to deliver them, but he was also going to execute judgment against all of the gods of the world that held them in bondage. Let that get into your spirit. Verse 13. And the blood, the blood of this lamb shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. When I smite the land of Egypt, skip down to verse number 21. So then Moses called for all the elders of Israel, and he said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families, and kill the Passover. Next verse. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. Next verse. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And notice. When he sees the blood upon the lintel. And on the two side posts. The Lord will pass over the door. And will not suffer. The destroyer to come in. Unto your houses. To smite you. Now we've read this before, haven't we? But do you understand two things that we've just read there that we can skip if we're not careful? Number one, the Lord said, I'm going to execute judgment against all the gods of Israel. Where there's not blood. And I'm going to do it through the blood of a lamb without blemish. And if you have blood... It's going to be a token. And because of the blood there on your house, I will not allow the destroyer access to you. The blood will be a token that tells the destroyer, you can't go in that house. The blood becomes a barrier to the destroyer's access. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. In verse 24. Notice what the Lord says to them. And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to you and to your sons forever. Now, this passage of Scripture in Exodus, many of us know, of course, is the Passover. It's what Israel still celebrates many to this day. The Passover, of course, because the Lord said, I will pass over when I see the blood. 
And this Passover is remembered by them year after year, year after year, year after year. They celebrate the Passover, the blood and the lamb, the blood and the lamb, the blood and the lamb. They, they celebrate year after year after year. The Lord wanting them, remember that I brought you out of bondage. Remember that I executed judgment against all the gods of Egypt. Remember that I made a way where the destroyer could not get access to you. Remember the lamb without spot and remember the blood and remember. Remember, it's how I brought you out. Now, if you and I were in bondage in some land that we didn't want to be in bondage in, and we were to come up with our own idea of how to get out, I'm not sure we would say, well, you know what? Why don't we find a poor, innocent, weak lamb, kill it, put a little blood on our door, and that's surely the way that we'll get delivered from our bondage of this strong Egyptian people. The Lord's ways are not our ways. You realize today that the Lord brought, some would estimate that there was a million or more at this point in the land of Egypt as far as children of Israel. Do you realize today the Lord brought a million or more, however many it was, out of the land of Egypt, delivered them from bondage, and they never lifted a hand against their enemy? It was as simple as obeying the instruction of the Lord. A lamb without blemish. One for your family. Take the blood after you kill it. Put the blood on the doorpost. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over and I'll deliver you. I'll execute judgment. I'm going to do this with something. No, I wonder if the Egyptians looked and thought, what are they doing? What are they doing? Hey, what are you doing? You know, they had relationship, the Israelites and the Egyptians, because they talked to them and borrowed gold and jewelry and precious things so that when the Lord let them out, they could spoil the Egyptians. So they had relation. What are you doing? Oh, we're, we're getting ready to uh, make a lamb dinner. Oh, okay. It's going to be a special celebration. Great, great. And they see oh, slaughtering the lamb and then can you imagine what this looks like to Egypt? I mean, you, you know, this wasn't just like one or two houses. What did this look like if an Egyptian's passing by near Goshen and they like they are putting blood on their house? What are they doing? And the Egyptians had lots of gods, so they might have been intrigued by it and wondering, hey, what's this? I don't know. But you see, and if you and I in our human reasoning would try to factor how is God going to use this to take people that are in bondage and what are they do? What is this routine they're going through? It can seem so to humanity foolish and a waste of time and effort. What are you doing? I'll tell you what they're doing. They're trusting in a God that knows more than we could ever know. And they're responding in obedience to His Word because He was exampling something for them at the beginning that He wanted them to remember forever because it was a pattern He was going to reveal to them and to you and I. Leviticus chapter 1, watch this. Please bear with me. We need the Lord to write this upon our hearts. Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 1. The Lord has now brought all of these children of Israel out. They've come through the Red Sea. He's destroyed the entire armies of Egypt. And they've come in and the Lord has given them a tabernacle plan. And we now see the tabernacle and Aaron and his sons are established as the priesthood. And Leviticus is called Leviticus because of the tribe of Levi. And so Leviticus is filled with things that the Levites or the priesthood are supposed to do in service to the Lord. So that's called Leviticus. These are all the laws, rules, and guidelines for the priests in the Old Testament under the law to do service unto the Lord. And how they were to serve the people in relationship to God. 
And so notice the very beginning of this book. First chapter, first verse. And the Lord called to Moses, spoke to him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. Notice, he shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering. And watch these words. And it shall be accepted for him to make an atonement for him. That word atonement means to cover, to purge, or to make reconciliation. What is it? It's an atonement for him for his sin. The blood of this bullock that's brought to one of the tribe of Levi, one of Aaron or his sons. This is the first order of business in the Levitical law. The first thing the Levitical law spells out is how does someone come and get atonement for some degree of sin? Well, the first thing that we want to make sure they know is they need a bullock without blemish. They put their hands on its head. Priests, Aaron's sons will kill it. Verse 5. He shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priests. Aaron's sons, what are they going to do? They're going to bring the blood. They're going to sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. We see, and we won't take the time this morning by any stretch to go through the entire book of Leviticus, but read through it. Read how every piece of furniture in the tabernacle is touched with blood. Blood is upon the priest's ear, right here. Blood is upon the priest's ear and his thumb and his foot. Blood on the priest, blood on his garments, blood on the altar, blood on the laver, blood on the furniture inside, blood on the Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat. The blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb. Back where we read, blood on the door. Abraham offering a sacrifice and the Lord saying, God will provide himself a lamb. And so Jerusalem, interesting to me, you can search this out. It's very easy to find if you look on YouTube. Even to this day when Israel celebrates the Passover. And they go through these processes that they do of, of the lamb and the bitter herbs and the different seeds. They set a table for their family to sit down the night of and celebrate the Passover. And they do a unique thing. It's very interesting to me. It's very interesting to watch and to share, is at one, I guess it's at the head, I think it's at the head of the table, um, don't quote me on that part, but they leave a seat at their table when they're eating the meal. It's empty, but they set a place setting there at the table. We don't do this today, of course. But Israel still celebrates the Passover. And they're leaving that because they're waiting for the prophet to come. They have a seat waiting for the fulfillment of the word of God. And so they celebrate the Passover waiting for someone to come and fill that seat. Well, we understand he's already come. Because we read in the book of John, chapter number 1. We'll fast forward in the New Testament. John chapter number 1. John the Baptist is there in the Jordan baptizing people. And one day when he's out there preaching and baptizing, telling people repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. There when he's preaching these things, he looks up and the Bible says, John sees Jesus coming unto him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. 
He had a revelation in that moment. This man, Jesus, was his cousin who was only six years younger. No doubt they had spent time together. But on this day, the eyes of John were opened spiritually and he recognized Jesus coming down into the Jordan and he declared what all of the Old Testament had been pointing to. He declared what Abraham had prophesied. He declared what had been foreshadowed in Egypt on the doorpost. He declared what had been foreshadowed in the Levitical law by the priest offering the blood. And he pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away The sin of the world. Perfect, spotless lamb. First Peter chapter one. Told you we're just gonna have a Bible study this morning. First Peter chapter one, verse 18. Hear what the apostle Peter said to us, the church. He said, for as much as you know that you were not, everybody say, I was not. I was not, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. He paused right there. This idea In one of the most dominant religions of our day that you can give these offerings and get so much penance and do so much by, you know, bring this offering, pay for this candle, pay for this thing, drop a token in here and do this. And and this we are not redeemed by corruptible things. There is no redemption earned or given based on corruptible things. And anything that's of the natural is considered corruptible. We're not redeemed by those things, such as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Next verse. So what are we redeemed by? But we're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Notice what Peter calls him. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I hear Abraham telling Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide himself. God will provide himself. He did not send a substitutionary sacrifice. God provided himself. God robed himself in flesh. God came and dwelt among us so that we could behold his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God robed himself in flesh. He who knew no sin became sin for me and for you so that you and I could be made the righteousness of God in him. God did this for you and for me. I had, I have of myself no hope of righteousness You have no hope of righteousness except that God himself, who alone is righteous, would be willing to give you and I his righteousness. But to do so, he had to be willing to take on your sin and mine. And so he said he was willing to do so. Well, the only way to do so, the scripture tells us in Hebrews, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or removal or purging of our sin. The only way for sin to be removed is the shedding of blood. It's why that we read all the way back there in the book of Leviticus, when they bring a bullock of the herd, take the blood and sprinkle it about the altar. I'm going to let that be an atonement for a year anyway. It'll purge. It will remove push forward it to be an atonement for their sin for a year 
He was establishing this principle of the word of God. Without blood, no remission of sin. No blood shed, no sin remitted. And so for you and I to be free from the bondage of sin, God chose a way that man could never understand. But when we act in obedience and faith, just as the children of Israel did, when they took a lamb and put blood on the doorpost, God says he would send his only begotten. He would robe himself in flesh, shed his blood, and trade my sin for his righteousness. That doesn't make any sense to me. But I know it to be true. I know it to be true. I know it to be true. It's the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ said, Except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That empty chair that Israel's, they're waiting on the coming Messiah. If you were to speak to any, any Old Testament believing Jew or even New Testament believing Israelite, Hebrew, they would tell you the Messiah they're waiting on is not a second person in the Godhead. They would tell you the Messiah they're waiting on is God himself that will come in the form of a man. And they're waiting on him, expecting him to come and deliver them the same way that he delivered them out of Egypt. But the scripture reveals to us he's going to come and reveal himself to them again. And they're going to look and they're going to see the scars in his hands and the piercing in his side. And they're going to ask him the question, what happened to you? How were you? Where did these wounds come from? And he will speak to the children of Israel and say, these are the wounds that I received in the house of my friends. And in that moment, the veil will be removed. Scripture tells us the veil will be removed from Jerusalem. And they'll see and realize it was him that came in the man Christ Jesus. We did miss our opportunity in that day. And he'll make a way for them in that last day. But they'll recognize he came once already and we missed it. And the second time he comes, He's coming in all of his power and all of his glory. He's made a way for you. He's made a way for me. By the blood of a spotless lamb. He is that spotless lamb. And hear me this morning. The blood is ever present in your life. When you're buried in the waters of baptism and you take on the name of Jesus Christ, the scripture calls it not a circumcision of the flesh any longer, but through baptism, it's a circumcision of the heart. What is that? It's a cutting of the heart and it takes my conscience so that now it's in right standing before God when I pass through the waters of baptism and the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to my life once and for all. There's no longer a yearly sacrifice being brought. There's no longer this yearly atonement that I can just make it another year with my sins pushed forward. But the blood of Jesus is on my life. And as a result, I stand here with no sin. I stand here righteous. Not my righteousness. His righteousness. This is the word of God. Hear me this morning. If you are washed in the blood, you are free from sin. Not just the day you went down. Every moment of your life, if we sin, what do we do? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's faithful and just to forgive us all sin. So when I fall, what do I do? I don't go back to baptism again. I just acknowledge, God, I failed. I fall short. I missed the mark. I repent before you. I receive of your forgiveness yet today. And the blood of Jesus is ever present in my life. And there I stand again, free from sin. The enemy wants us to doubt the blood. The enemy wants us to question the blood. I would today afresh and anew that God again in our spirit would remind us of the ever-present, ever-working power of His blood. 
I know it's elementary. I know we all heard the story. But we must hold fast and dear to the blood of the Lamb of God. It must be something that's ever present in our thought. Ever present in our praise. Ever present in our worship. The blood of the Lamb is what keeps us. The blood of the Lamb is what heals us. The blood of the Lamb is what will save us. I'm thankful for the blood today. I am thankful for the blood today. This is so important. If we want to live and walk in the spirit, we must have a confidence in the blood of the Lamb of God. We must. Because the enemy will come and will accuse The enemy will look for a way to come against us. But do you realize when the blood is on your life, the Lord has said the destroyer cannot have access. You know, there's some things in the word that are forever settled. All of the word. All of the word. He said, my word is forever settled. In heaven, that means it's not debatable. It doesn't change. It's not shifting from generation to generation. What the word says is true. And if we know and we do know that the blood on the doorpost in Egypt was a type and shadow of the Lamb of the God, Lord Jesus Christ, coming and shedding his own blood, then when we are buried in the waters of baptism, when the blood of Jesus Christ is put upon our life and we receive of that atoning sacrifice of Christ, he executes judgment against all of the gods of this world that would try to war against our life to destroy us. So the only way they would ever gain access is if I begin to doubt or not trust in the power and working of the blood in my life. Go with me in the Word. 1 John 1, 7. These are scriptures you should know. First John 1 and 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Watch. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from what sin? All sin. All sin. All sin. Not some. All sin. It's interesting to me that John writing this scripture, and of course John wrote a lot about love and fellowship in the body of Christ. It's interesting to me that in this passage of scripture, he coupled the blood of Jesus cleansing us from sin with us having fellowship with one another. You know what the enemy does when he comes and accuses you? He'll get you to doubt the blood. And one of the first things that will start happening is he'll get you to start separating from the body. I'm not worthy to. I'm not. This is the enemy talking, not God. I don't deserve to. You know, they're they're better than I am. They're they're living a different. They're living much. You know, all those thoughts. Do you understand we're all made equal by the blood of the lamb? We're all brought in fellowship in the body by the blood of the Lamb. It is the blood that does this. Not some works of man or women. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. All means all, by the way. Just in case you wondered what that word meant in the Greek. It means all. Hebrews 9, verse 11. Hebrews 9 and 11 says this. Remember we read in Leviticus about the priest and the blood coming and the bullock and the basin. and All of Leviticus talks about the priesthood. We said that. Hebrews 9, and he's, the writer of Hebrews is pointing back to the Old Testament to try to help them understand what they hadn't connected already. He was in the spirit. The writer of Hebrews was trying to help them see in the spirit what they were supposed to learn from their history. 
So he says in verse 11, but Christ, he's pointing them to Christ, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. See, they're thinking of the earthly tabernacle that they had built, Moses' tabernacle. But he's saying there was a greater and more perfect tabernacle. It was one that was not made with hands. That's to say, not of this building, not built by man. He's speaking of the tabernacle that was the body of Christ. Verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves. Remember we read Leviticus 1, 1 through 5, take the blood of a bullock. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. What did he do? He entered in once into the holy place. And what did that do? Having obtained eternal redemption for us. Not temporary redemption for us. By his blood, he went in to the holy place. By his blood, he entered in and he obtained eternal redemption. Not year by year. Eternal redemption for us. So if we want to lay hold on eternal life, we have to lay hold on the blood and let the blood be put upon our lives. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. Watch this. I love this next verse. How much more? Say that with me. How much more? Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Watch what it will do. It will purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Remember that word atonement in Leviticus? Remember it was to purge. The writer of Hebrews is trying to help us understand. What the blood of a bullock was doing temporarily in the Old Testament. The blood of Christ is now doing permanently. It purges your conscience. That's how you see yourself in relationship with God. And how God sees you. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse number 19. This is why this is so important today. One of the reasons why this is so important. Hebrews 10 verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. I don't get boldness because I live right. But many of us, we get deceived by the enemy to trying that. Let me give you an example. We'll come into the presence of God. We'll come into the house of God on a Sunday morning. We'll begin to sing and worship. The presence of the Lord will begin to manifest itself in the room. People will begin to worship and praise and magnify God. And God will begin to minister. But if I don't have a confidence in the blood of Jesus, I'll give room to the enemy. And I'll say stuff like this. He'll say stuff like this and I'll believe it. You don't have the right to lift your hands and worship. Do you know what you did? You don't have the right to enter into that place of worship with them. Do you know what you did? Last week? Last night? Do you know? No, 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 no. When I've been washed in the blood, my worship, my boldness in coming before God is not based on what I've done. It's based on what He's done. And so I come boldly. Now, humanity would say, Who do they think they are? That's not what God says. God says, I see blood. Come boldly. Come boldly. 
come boldly. Watch, keep going, verse 20. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, verse 21. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Everybody say that, draw near. near. Who are we drawing near to? The Lord Jesus, this high priest. Draw near. You understand Adam, when he sinned in the garden, they hid from the presence of God. Where'd they get that idea of hiding from the presence of God because of their mistake? Didn't come from God. See, the enemy, when I make a mistake, he wants me to hide from the presence of God or stay back from the presence of God. But notice what the Lord did for Adam and Eve when they made a mistake. And they hid from the presence of God. God went looking for them. They tried to cover their sin. Fig leaves. What possessed them to make fig? I can't even even imagine. I guess it was convenient. It's probably so. That's usually how it works. Whatever's convenient. They hid themselves from the presence of God because of their mistake. And the Lord comes searching and looking. And he calls out and says, Adam, where are you? I have a question. Did the Lord not know where Adam was? I mean, he's God. Really. Had he lost Adam? Did he need Adam to tell him where he was? No, the Lord knew where Adam was. He needed Adam to identify where he was. Adam, where are you? And I love the response of Adam because it brought a beautiful response from God. Adam said, Lord, we have learned we were naked and so we hid ourselves. The Lord takes him through some questions and Adam confesses. And the Lord, recognizing that their man-made covering wasn't going to do it. Hear me, no man-made covering ever does it. It's God-made covering that, that makes the difference. I'm sorry, you can create any man-made covering you want. Try to make it fit a scripture some way, somehow. There is nothing man-made that will cover It's a God-made covering. And so the Bible says that God made them coats of skin. Well, we can understand clearly the only way a coat of skin could be made was for an animal to die. Blood would have had to been shed for a covering to be made. It was a principle established from the beginning. We must have and hold to A revelation of the blood of Jesus Christ ever working in our lives. Because when we have and hold to it, we never hesitate to come boldly into the holy place. When we have and hold to it, we can draw near to him with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. How can we do that? The blood. The blood. The blood. For he is faithful that promised. Why don't you stand with me today? We have heard expressed multiple times, really, over the last several months, the design and the desire of God to use us individually and collectively. His desire to work through us in these valleys and beyond, outside of these walls, reaching, reaching, being used of Him, 
He wants to use us. He's using us and he wants to continue using us in even greater measure to manifest himself to these valleys. And I believe he'll do so exactly the same way he did so in the book of Acts through signs and wonders and miracles. He wants to use us that way. He, he may do that here from time to time on a Sunday or Wednesday, but his desire is to do that outside of these walls. And so I need the working of the blood of Jesus Christ in my life. And so then I never question who I am. And you never question who you are as a vessel of the Lord. You and I come in full assurance of faith. We draw near in confidence. And when we speak the word of God with boldness, it's not because we have boldness of ourselves. We realize I have been blood washed. I stand pure and clean before God. Therefore, I can be a vessel through which he flows. The blood gives me that confidence. The blood gives me that confidence. And so I need to hold to the blood. I need to plead the blood. I need the Lord to remind me and refresh in me a revelation of what he's done through the working of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not just a one-time thing so I can use it in baptism. It's the daily working of his blood in my life. I'm so thankful for it today. Do you understand when the enemy comes against you to bring doubt, to bring fear, to bring question, to tear down, to condemn. When he does all of those things, he's always constantly coming against the blood. Because anything and everything he would use, the blood deals with. Why is it then that we find in the book of Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 11. The accusers constantly coming, always looking for a way to remind us of where we failed. The accuser, the accuser, the accuser. But we find clearly and distinctly the word of the Lord says, and they overcame him. Him is the accuser. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. By the blood of the lamb. Notice that's past tense. It's already done. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I pray in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirit. A fresh revelation and understanding of the working of the blood of the Lamb, your blood in our lives, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray a fresh revelation and understanding that when we were washed in the blood of the Lamb, it was once for all. That by the blood of Jesus we are brought near. By the blood of the Lamb we stand whole and free from sin. By the blood of the Lamb we are robed in righteousness. Your righteousness, O oh God. By the blood of the Lamb I rebuke the devourer. I rebuke the destroyer. I rebuke the accuser. I plead the blood of the Lamb this morning. I pray the blood of the Lamb. In the name of Jesus, I want to open this altar to you today and give you a chance to respond to the Lord. Give you a chance to respond to Him. Let Him impart into your spirit. Let Him pour into your spirit today freshness of revelation. A freshness of the working of the blood of Jesus Christ in mine and your life. Come on, the only thing that will deliver a lost world from sin is the blood of Jesus in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you for your blood. We receive of the working of your blood. 
We receive it of you today. You are crucified so that we could live. I worship you and I thank you today, Father. I praise and I magnify you today, Father. Hallelujah. Come on, you don't have to live under any shame or guilt. You can stand whole because of the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. No guilt, no shame, washed by the blood of the Lamb, washed by the blood of the Lamb. Come on, He's no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons. The scripture is clear. He was slain from the foundation of the world to take away the sins of the world. Not an elite few, but of the world. I'm thankful for the blood of the Lamb. I'm thankful for the blood of the Lamb today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We receive of the working of the blood today. We pray the washing of the mind, the body, the soul, and the spirit by the blood of the Lamb today. Jesus, I pray the fresh washing of the blood on hearts and minds and lives this morning. Feels like I've been down to the river Washed away all my shame
told Adam in, in the garden the day you eat of this you will surely die and I don't think that God wanted Adam to die I think he wanted him to know how serious he was about following God's commands but all throughout that once once that happened and we see the, the death of the of the sacrifice and then all throughout the Old Testament, death was a very real part of things for them. Elder Hart mentioned it when you brought your sacrifice, your animal, when you brought your animal, your possession. <laughs> it, when that, when that, lamb is born out in your field I don't think you say oh there's my sacrifice I think you say there's one of my lambs and it's your possession but when you sin and you know this is required of me or the multiple types of sacrifices that are mentioned with the with fellowship with burnt offerings with fellowship offerings and with sin offerings you bring that and unless i unless i'm mistaken the person that brought the lamb or the bull or whatever it was the goat they were the one that placed their hand on the head while the priest killed that sacrifice I don't mean to be gruesome here today, but I'm saying that death was a very real part of the experience for them in the Old Testament. And that thing that was my possession, that was a part of my flock, that I watched be born and fed and raised and all that up until this point, I watched it die. I would go as far as to say I felt it die. I was thinking, I've been reading that to my kids, and it's kind of funny to see how many times in Leviticus they repeat that command and that procedure. And it hit me as, as Elder Hart was ministering. Why would I want to put my hands, why would God want him them to put their hands on the head of the sacrifice and then kill it? Because what they're supposed to see is the thing that this represents. This sin 
that this thing represents is no more. It died. Now, thankfully, they didn't have to carry that carcass back and, oh, man, let's, what are we going to do? No, there's a special pile for that. But what they took there, they didn't take back home with them. Because the thing that it represented died at the point of death. And then hear us in the New, New Testament, where we don't do that anymore, I think we can get very far removed from this element of death and putting things to death. But Paul, he said, I die daily. He's, I'm still connected to the experience of death enough to know that what's alive in me is not me, not my actions, not my thoughts, but it's Christ. And he also says, mortify the deeds of your body. Put them to death. I'm thankful for the blood of Christ. I'm thankful that I don't have to bring something from my flock every time I come here. But I shouldn't have to. That, that I, I should still feel connected enough to the work of God in my life to know we dealt with this thing and we put it to death. Jesus, we're thankful today, God, for your spirit that's here. We're thankful for the ministry of your spirit that's here today. God, I thank you for providing yourself as a sacrifice for me and for my sin. I'm thankful, Lord, for providing Jesus, all the work that you've done to make ways for each of us. God, so that we could come here into your presence and then so that we could share Jesus, your goodness, share of your mercy and share of your grace, God. This is our testimony today, God. This is our testimony, God, that you have taken away our sin, my sin, Lord Jesus. Thank you for it today. Why don't we thank the Lord? Jesus, we thank you. We give you thanks today, Lord, with sincerity, Lord Jesus. I'm thankful, oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You are dismissed. Why don't you greet one another? In Jesus' name.